What's going on, Dan? Welcome to the show, bro. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course, dude. I'm uh, I'm, I'm pumped to have you, man. I uh, I got to say, uh, something made me laugh that I saw you posted a little while ago. And it was at that moment where I was like, damn, I got to try and get this guy on the podcast and see if we can shoot this shit a little bit. Um, but you posted a picture of you holding up the newest edition of Krause's uh, Food in the Nutrition Care Process textbook. Uh, yeah. That, in addition, I uh, I think you mentioned something about the uh, Advanced Human uh, Nutrition and uh, Metabolism book that were staples in my curriculum when I was going through school. And I was just laughing my ass off looking at your post. Yeah, I got both of them. <laughs> I got both of them right uh, right here. They're great resources. Great resources, bro. I was just, yeah. uh, I was laughing. I was like, anybody that, you know, uh, voluntarily buys a textbook after they uh, graduate for their dietetics program, yeah. and it's just uh, a friend in my book. So uh, I, I just had to mention that it's, uh, it's something that, that, that just kind of like uh, made me laugh, but also made me appreciate just again, your content even more. Cause you're somebody who I've been kind of following from a distance. I know that kind of sounds like I'm a stalker, really weird, but somebody I've been following for a few years now since I've started creating content and you just do an incredible job disseminating information, still kind of like uh, doing your own research, reading research papers, like being able to communicate that to the, the public or the general masses, your followers. And we don't have enough people in the space that do that. And you are one of the best in the game. So I appreciate you being here, but that's just my little snippet of like, damn, I have to get Dan on the podcast because uh, that that book brings back memories, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate the kind words. And maybe the memories aren't so great, but um, regardless, it's, I mean, I, it's, it's a really great resource that I, you know, use in my practice. I still like uh, um, uh, go back to it pretty regularly. Yeah, for sure. And for the people who have no idea what we're talking about, which is probably everybody, it's uh, imagine just like a textbook that you get in like your upper level nutrition classes that's like, you know, 700 plus pages long or something full of just like, uh, you know, ideally up to the date or up to date research and all these different disease processes, treatment methods, um, just like nutrition throughout the lifespan as well. And just I don't know. There's just an infinite amount of stuff that you can learn and read in there. Uh, enough. So we had like three classes covering that whole book that use that as, you know, the main book for the course. So, um, just, just so people know what we're talking about, but dude, thanks again for coming. Give your little intro. I, I weirdly don't know a ton about you either. I know you're a power lifter. I know you, uh, are a dietitian, but that's kind of the extent of it, but feel free to, to go back as far as you'd like, tell the people a little bit about you. And kind of how that pertains to what you're doing today and what you're passionate about. Yeah. So uh, uh, thank you again for the kind words. So yeah, I'm a registered dietitian, um, also a com- halfway decent competitive powerlifter. Uh, I got my master's degree in nutrition before I got uh, my RD. Um, you know, so I've been a dietitian since uh, middle of 2019, um, and after getting my RD first. I worked in uh, nursing homes for a little bit. I actually worked in nursing homes uh, at the start of COVID. So, you know, if you remember when COVID first started in like April 2020 or March 2020, uh, it was really nursing homes in New York that were like the epicenter. I was, I was working in those and going to work every day um, when everyone else, you know, was, was kind of locked down. Uh, so I did that until September of 2020. And throughout that time, uh, I had started to kind of uh, uh, post on Instagram. I think the Instagram thing more so started in 2018, 2019, started to uh, put out content related to nutrition, fitness. I'm obviously a powerlifter, so I've 
uh, some interest there. Um, and uh, in 2021, I, uh, you know, really focused more so on my private practice full time. That's really what I do now. I see clients one on one um, uh, in in the U.S. Uh, and help them. I mean, more so mostly with like weight loss, body composition, uh, muscle gain, that kind of thing. Although I see clients, um, some of whom have more so kind of clinical uh, stuff going on. So kind of a variety of uh, clients who I see. Uh, so that's really, you know, what I do now. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I do uh, put out a decent amount of stuff on Instagram where I talk about, you know, all things fitness and nutrition. Um, yeah, that kind of uh, that's kind of what I'm up to right now. I also am at least technically a, uh, certified personal trainer through NASM. I don't see, uh, clients, uh, for personal training, but I do have that certification. Uh, so yeah, that's a bit about, you know, kind of, uh, uh, what I'm doing these days. Yeah. Thank you, dude. Uh, we had kind of a similar, I wouldn't say similar. I mean, very, very different being in New York compared to where I'm at populations a lot less, but man, when 2020 hit, I was a renal dietitian at the time. And, uh, I remember my job, uh, I was full-time, but my uh, job description changed drastically. I was, I was the one they were like, Oh shit, Luke's Luke's young. And we have a really uh, high risk population here and we have no idea what the fuck is going on. And, and before you know it, I was the one screening people at four 30 and then 10 30 and, you know, getting people checked in. Um, a lot of things happened. A lot of things were very crazy. I'm curious what your experience was like just really briefly, uh, when you were working in the nursing home, what was that, you know, what was what was the vibe kind of like a month or two into it? Was it kind of like chaotic, crazy, scary, yeah. or did you just kind of just grind? Yeah, it, and... it was kind of a clusterfuck, um, to put it lightly, um, uh, just to kind of give you an idea. I remember on my birthday, so April 7th of 2020, um, I went into work and I actually had, a um, had recently been promoted. So I was working in like a bunch of different nursing homes, just depending on where they needed me. And like, you know, on that day, like eight people in the nursing home died residents, like, like, uh, patients, um, you know, all of, of COVID related complications. So, you know, and I had to wear the full hazmat suit, all of that. Um, that was before, you know, we have like vaccines for it or anything like that. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a, uh, time of uncertainty, uh, shitty time. Um, but you know, we got through it. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, we made it through. We made it through. And just tell me quickly about your uh, your master's program. You said you did that before your internship. Where did you get yeah. that from? What did you do? What did you do it in? Um, was it yeah. spaced? Tell me about that. Yeah. So University of Delaware. So after I got my uh, bachelor's degree in dietetics from University of Delaware, I immediately jumped into a master's degree in human nutrition, which really kind of centered around uh, learning how to read and interpret uh, nutrition research. Um, and that actually was kind of what really sparked my interest in, um, reading and analyzing and explaining nutrition research, which is kind of a, a decent amount of what my Instagram content is sort of centered around. Uh, these days I somehow ended up taking like twice as many statistics classes as I need to, um, which, you know, kind of was what it was, but, uh, you know, helped me gain some of those skills to kind of, uh, sift through research and kind of understand, you know, when you're reading a research paper, like what are you actually reading? Yeah. Thank you for that. I was, uh, I was really just picking your brain to see like where your research background came in. And it sounds like it was the master's program. Um, 
at least that sparked that interest maybe. Cause I was sitting here thinking like when I was, you know, you said, yeah, let's, let's do a podcast. I was like, damn, what could we talk about? There's an infinite amount of things that we could talk about. Yeah. Um, especially with you, man, like the way you communicate, um, uh, complications related to obesity. We're talking about the artificial sweetener fucking shit show that's been going on or seed oils or protein recommendations. Like all of these things come to mind and all those are really cool. But like, I was just thinking, what do all of those have in common? It's like, oh, there's research on all of them and there's yeah. uh, misinterpreted research and, and uh, mixed signaling and, and people just spewing misinformation when it comes to what research articles are actually saying or what research has actually been done and what the body of literature says on a lot of these topics. And that's when it clicked for me. I was like, damn, let's, let's talk about science, dude. Let's talk about some research and, and talk about why that's fucking important and why that's, yeah. I don't know. I think it's overlooked, but it's also... Uh, so leaned upon or people loosely say, oh yeah, research shows or studies say, or X, Y, and Z. And I just, I think the general consumer doesn't know fucking shit about anything about research and that's not their fault. It's not something that we're expecting anybody to know about, but I think it'd be fun to just kind of talk about some basics, talk about some things that, um, you know, people can kind of like be curious about or learn about so that when they're reading different uh, papers or maybe when they're reading different articles that come out or following different influencers that are saying things different from, you know, maybe other big popular influencers. We just have a baseline level of understanding of like what some people might be talking about, you know? So I, um, I say all that because that's kind of where I want to segue into is this overarching question of why is science important, you know, and, and why is research important in particular? And, and, especially relating to the nutrition fitness space. I mean, that's our world, but in general, like what would you kind of describe science and research's role and how they've shaped or how they're continuing to shape what we talk about, what we care about and how we practice and, and give kind of recommendations for people to be generally healthy. Cause that's really the end goal here is to get to the end consumer, to help them make more informed decisions for their health, right? Like how does it start? And we can kind of go from there. I know it's a big question, but just do what you'd like with that, man. Sure. So, I mean, research and science really provides, should provide the backbone of the, you know, if we have like Instagram content or social media content or what have you, then it should really provide the backbone of, of, of that as well as the types of uh, recommendations that we provide to our clients, you know, or if, if, you know, we have uh, health and fitness goals ourselves, you know, we should be um, pursuing those goals, uh, you in an evidence-based way. So, so having, you know, using some kind of research backed methods to get to our health goals, fitness goals, body composition goals. And it's important for us to be able to have at least to be able to read a scientific paper and kind of know what it's saying on some level, because especially in the health and fitness industry, there's a lot of bad actors on, in, uh, on, social media, especially. There's a lot of folks who say things that are wrong uh, to get a reaction or to get more followers, you know, say things that uh, go against uh, uh, conventional wisdom. And oftentimes those folks, I mean, they might just say things. Uh, sometimes they will cite studies and have PubMed IDs and, and kind of have abstracts or, or use pieces of studies to kind of fit their narrative. And it's only through actually reading those studies and having at least somewhat of an understanding of what those studies say, as well as the understanding the body of literature on a particular uh, topic where you can actually determine whether 
you know, what those influencers are saying is, is really accurate, you know, so it's important for the consumer not to get duped, um, you know, as like an example, I know uh, these days, a lot of people like to uh, uh, shit on people like Andrew Huberman, but, and I'm not trying to, to you like insult him or anything like that, but I know like one of the big things for him, at least that he's posted about in the past is like cold water immersion and fat loss. And I remember one, one time in particular, I think it was a couple years back, he post posted about some kind of like sauna plus cold water immersion uh, type of thing and cited a very specific study and was saying, okay, if you just do this, your expenditure will go up like by this energy expenditure will go up by this amount. And he's got millions of followers, right? And then, you know, at this time, I could kind of heard of Andy Huberman. I was like, oh, he says some interesting stuff. I actually read the study. And then sure enough, he took like a kernel of truth from the study and then extrapolated it into this whole thing that just was not reflective of, of at all of the actual what the actual study did, what the actual people in the study did, um, you know, and 99% and of people are just going to take him at his word because he is a PhD. He has like a lab in Stanford. You know what I mean? Um, and even people like that, PhDs, MDs, RDs you know, sometimes say things knowingly or unknowingly, you know, that that uh, and they cite research where their claims aren't necessarily actually supported by the research. So it's important for us as consumers and especially as practitioners like dietitians to be able to spot that. Um, and it's not easy because research, especially if you have no background with it, like I know when I first started to read research in my master's program, I'd look, I'd read a paper or at least try to read, try to read it. And it would be like Swahili, you know, or especially the stats sections. Once they were talking about like ANOVAs and T-tests, it would be like another language, you know. So having at least somewhat, it's okay to not understand every little bit of it, uh, but at least to, to have enough of fluency with research to to at least, at least be able to spot bullshit, um, both on social media and, I mean, there are papers out there that are just shitty papers or shitty studies or that are in predatory journals, you know, and, and, uh, having that skill set to spot that can really help to uh, kind of prevent you from, uh, for, for, can help prevent misinformation from spreading, you know, if, if, if that makes sense and, and help prevent consumers from engaging in, uh, practices that are not evidence-based. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. All the above. I mean, it's funny you bring up Huberman, like, um, and, and again, like, I think there's people out there that, have, you know, maybe have ill intent, you know, like, I don't know if we could ever always prove that with certain people. Um, I mean, nutrition, health, it's just as bad as like politics nowadays. I mean, we just live mm -hmm. in such a tribalistic society and, and people who like really burrow into their camps and surround themselves in these like echo chambers and, uh, man, it could, uh, could be a scary place. Cause like you said, even dietitians, even doctors, even PhDs, man, like they're not immune to all of this stuff either sometimes. And you bring up uh, Andrew Huberman. It's, it's funny. Like he, he's a smart dude. He's a great communicator. He used, you said it, he has a ton of followers. And I, I just found recently, I just laughed because, uh, man, like if he's talking about neuroscience, like, sure, I'll, I'll tune into that and I'll listen to that. Like yeah. that, that to me for sure makes sense. That's right up his alley. But man, we talk about like carbohydrate metabolism, uh, or like cold and flu season or, uh, you know, cancer research. It's like, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, and again, is he trying to, to cause harm to people? Probably not in, in that example, but man, it's, it's still, uh, 
uh, doesn't mean that you're immune to like her hurting, hurting people or, or spreading misinformation because people of, of that stature can still make that happen. And, um, yeah, I think, I think we're all human, but man, trying to get it right, trying to, um, add a lot of context, trying to like, uh, really come from a good space I think is, is far and beyond now. I just don't know if there's a, uh, obviously I follow a ton of people yourself included who really put a lot of effort into their content and reading research, um, kind of do responses to things that people say that are popular in the media. And it's just unfortunate that it's so easy to say whatever you want right now, but it's really fucking difficult to like fact check that and to do the research and to pull up papers and to pull up uh, reasonings and, and then to formulate, you know, uh, an argument, you know, I guess we could say as why those things are wrong or refuting a, a message that maybe was created mainstream or, or went viral or what episode, you know, is uh, trending right now. And that's where like people like you and, and people in the space that really do a good job of interpreting research. That's where I think you guys shine the most. Um, I, I say you guys, like I'm not including myself into that because I'm not somebody that's posting content, looking at all the newest papers and all the meta-analysis and stuff that come up. But, you know, if we look at all the people who are kind of assuming that role. You guys are, in my opinion, some of the more important people that we have in the space. Because as we talk about research, man, if we break it down, like kind of the 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 tree that kind of falls from the very top to the bottom. We have the people in the labs that are actually doing the research, and then we have uh, in in writing the papers, right, writing their findings, and then we have people who are maybe like yourself or like Alan Aragon or you know, uh, some of these other really influential people, maybe, uh, Lane Norton in the space who are like reading the research and then they're like disseminating that information maybe to other coaches, right. Or writing in a research reviews or creating social media posts to, that are more informative. And then I see myself as like, okay, I'm reading Dan's stuff. And then I'm further relaying that down to my client and maybe even more of a simple manner. Um, and, and that's the cycle that kind of repeats itself, but it's very difficult to have some of these charlatans and people who are just spreading their shit that really have no like uh, scientific backbone to it, that it's uh, that's where a lot of confusion can kind of come from is what I've noticed. So yep. yeah, research is important, but man, it could be misinterpreted or misused or not even acknowledged at all when we're talking about some of these really complex topics and that, that gets dangerous sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely agreed. And, and it's tough. It's tough to reading research can be uh, can feel like a chore, you know, it can be, it's, it's, you know, usually research is pretty dry. So most people don't read it, you know, and they, you know, instead will turn to, uh, other folks to kind of who disseminate that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, but it depends on who's disseminating that, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about the research itself sometimes. Cause I think people, uh, maybe hear the word research and think it's just this blanket thing that is like a one size fits all approach that uh, they have no idea about, but people refer to it. So it must be legit. Right. But if we talked about research as a whole, like what components or like what pieces of the puzzle make up the word research in, in terms of like studies or how they're done or where they're uh, where they're being studied or performed at, like if you could just give an overarching example of like, Hey, you know, research is, funded by these people or done in these types of labs or done by these types of people. Um, and then these are some of the types of studies, like whatever comes to mind for you. But I think that could lay some, some good framework for some follow-up stuff that we could talk about afterwards. Sure. So for one, I think of, you know, individual, like original studies. So rather than reviews of studies, actual studies, you know, conducted on participants, be they observational studies that 
um, you know, just collect data, um, assessing large groups of people over time, sometimes prospectively. So sometimes like they just kind of assessing data, uh, from people, be it dietary data, um, or, you know, body weight trends or what have you kind of looking at different, um, variables and, and how certain variables correlate with each other, like how, um, you know, eating these particular foods or this particular dietary pattern, you know, uh, correlates with something like an outcome, like a uh, body weight or cancer incidents or what have you, you know, or, you know, you can kind of do the same thing, but retrospectively looking back, you know, looking back on medical records of people to kind of assess different, um, you know, variables and, and, you know, looking at a variable of interest again, maybe it's, um, if you're interested in, a food like, I don't know, garlic or something like that. And then you have your outcome of, um, I don't know, days missed at work for illness, you know, and kind of looking at those uh, variables and to kind of see, okay, does garlic, eating garlic, you know, reduce the amount of uh, sick days someone has. I'm literally just kind of making that up, but, uh, you know, kind of looking at uh, data in an observational way, right? Uh, 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 to kind of assess whether one uh, variable is correlated with another, you know, so that's observational research. It allows you to look at a, lo a lot of people. And, and generally speaking, having more people in a study is better than having less. You know, it, it we can have more certainty in our outcomes. And then you have studies that are interventional, where you're actually uh, uh, telling people to do something uh, for a certain period of time, you know, and those are, are generally controlled trials. And, and, you know, we might have randomized controlled trials, which is, you know, assigning uh, one group of people to uh, to a certain treatment and then uh, another group to another treatment or to a control or placebo and, you know, uh, assessing them over time and then comparing differences. Uh, so there are some advantages to that. Um, you know, uh, it can kind of help uh, reduce kind of any kind of confounding factors, you know, so um, so generally you've got like observational studies, like I mentioned before, versus um, interventional studies. And then we've got uh, different types of reviews. So like reviews of many studies of those types of studies. So they could be narrative reviews, which is just, you know, an author kind of uh, basically writing uh, their kind of thoughts and, and citing research. There could be a systematic review, which is also a review of studies, but there's just kind of a very specific search criteria that uh, is established and explained, or there can be actually a meta-analysis, which is also a review, but uh, it's actually... Uh, quantitatively, the the authors quantitatively uh, determine, um, you know, uh, outcomes uh, by, you know, taking data and pooling the participants uh, from all of the individual studies and putting them all together in a, a analysis, a larger analysis, a meta analysis, a big analysis, right? So there, that's kind of your different types of uh, research there. So when I think of, of research, I generally think of published studies Usually it's one of those types that I mentioned, you know, off the top of my head um, that have generally been through peer review um, and have been published and using that data uh, to make inferences about what's true and what's not true, um, you know, and, and also being able to read a study and kind of know how it fits in the broader literature Um you know, and, and also potentially maybe, you know, using some anecdotal, um, experience as well, uh, to then make recommendations, uh, 
Um, not sure if that kind of answered your question, but that's when I think of research, that's in kind of uh, uh, practicing in a research-based way. That's kind of what comes to mind. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Thank you for that. It was really well said. And uh, just to, uh, you can maybe uh, interject or summarize my summary of your summary, uh, but just to kind of recap that maybe for the listener, right? There's there's all these different types of research methods and designs. Um, Dan mentioned uh, observational studies, which is like, hey, looking at, hey, if somebody does this, does this happen more or less, right? As uh, a very basic rundown of that, but maybe we use, um, something like fiber, you know, Hey, do people who eat less fiber, are they at more risk for dying earlier or having colorectal cancer or, uh, having higher cholesterol, like insert whatever type of outcome that, you know, maybe a researcher or we are curious about and observational studies can kind of pull like, Hey, people who meet a certain criteria, who ate this amount of fiber. Again, none of this is perfect, right? A lot of it is, uh, and that's where people will poke holes into certain studies and, and different limitations that come like we have to acknowledge that as well. But it's just the overarching concept of like, hey, we have, you know, using fiber as an example, does that, you know, more or less of that improve these things that we're curious about? And sometimes like when we see some of these like uh, and again, just because something is correlated does not mean it causes everything too. we have to always add that as kind of a caveat here. But like some of these like observations could be the catalyst for maybe a randomized control trial that's done in humans potentially, right? Or seeing certain mechanisms or seeing if certain outcomes impact people on a short-term level, right? Like, hey, if we give, we found fiber, maybe improves these things. And again, I'm making shit up right now, but bear with me. Maybe if we follow people for eight weeks and we give them a certain amount of fiber and it's a little bit more controlled and we're looking at cholesterol levels, like is there significant changes and is that something that's noteworthy? Um, you know, that we can take away from doing some of these things. So it can kind of be inspiration sometimes and has been inspiration for a little bit more short-term research studies that can contribute to the body of lit literature on that topic. Right. And then you said, you know, looking more of like uh, meta analyses, uh, systematic reviews, which is studies of studies essentially. And you, you know, mentioning like criteria, it's like, Hey, if we're looking at fiber, here's the criteria from this age to this age and people consuming this much fiber and over this amount of time or th from these types of fiber sources, um, finding a bunch of studies that have had similar or, or you know, those con uh, inclusion criterias. And then you look at that and, and sometimes that can be kind of called maybe a gold standard of like, hey, here's here's 150 types of research um, designs that met this criteria that really consistently produce this, this outcome, you know, those are some of the situations that you'll see people like Dr. Is or somebody on, on Instagram talking about and reviewing the, the data of like, Hey, what does this collectively say when we group everything together? But you can kind of see how everything kind of is related to one another. Right. And, and there's kind of different steps to each and, um, you know, you can't just have meta-analysis and not have anything else. So there's definitely like a pathway to get to some of these things, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of like maybe paint a bigger picture for somebody who's thinking like, how does this apply to my life or what, you know, what I'm doing and, and what I'm trying to work towards for better health and X, Y, Z. So thank you yeah. for that too. Yeah, exactly. And I like to kind of think of research as more so kind of like a collection of many, many, many anecdotes. I mean, they're not anecdotes, but like many, many, many anecdotes uh, in like controlled settings that have gone through some sort of kind of controlled peer review process to kind of assess kind of quality, you know, and what have you, because, you know, a lot of people will uh, rely on anecdotes alone and be like, well, this worked for me. You know, I 
ate a carnivore diet and now I feel a lot better, which, okay, that, that's cool. But, you know, uh, do you want to just rely on that or do you want to rely on data for many, 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 many people, um, uh, uh, various time lengths or, you know, in, in, in very specific kind of controlled settings to, you know, make sure that whatever dietary regimen, carnivore, what have you, uh, is, uh, something that is healthier that will get you the desired outcomes, you know, that you, uh, that you want. So it's just kind of having other data to support what you're doing, you know, if that makes sense, um, to, 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 or to get closer to, um, to, to truth, you know, yeah. uh, through the, uh, observed experiences of many, many, many people, which is sort of, sort of what research is, if that makes sense. Uh, it's a little bit hard to kind of describe what research is just on a very, very broad level. Um, but again, it, it, you could kind of consider it like a, a collection of many, many, many anecdotes among many, many, many people. So you can make more informed decisions about what you're going to do or, or what you're going to recommend to your clients, you know, if, if that makes sense, rather than just relying on what worked for you or what you uh, observed some people at your gym doing, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And uh, that kind of brings something to mind for me that something I hear, I've, I've heard more and more people say, um, partially from coaches, but partially from like just the, the gen pop. And it's kind of this idea of like, oh, well, you can find a study to support anything. Um, kind of referring to like, hey, if anybody makes a claim, like there is likely or there's probably something or a research or a paper or, you know, if we're bringing up anecdotal kind of reports here, uh, there's something out there that can support whatever it is that you're talking about. Uh, is that something that you've kind of heard or have kind of like deflected or acknowledged in the space? And, and what is your response to someone like that where it's like, okay, yeah, hey, hey, maybe we have a uh, a paper or we have like a, a, a mechanism study that was done in a rodent or whatever the case may be. And maybe, yes, it supports the hypothesis of somebody saying this is extremely inflammatory and therefore you need to avoid it at all costs. Like, like what, what would be one of your responses to somebody sitting here saying like, well, I, I believe them too. Cause like he brings up a point or he brought up this thing again, those are usually the people that aren't reading the fucking uh, references if they even provide references for the people saying some of these things. But you can kind of see, man, there's just there's this like tug of war going on a lot of times in the space. And I think it's difficult for just the gen pop person to kind of uh, to I don't know, to to think that like, hey, research can support both things. But maybe there's an overwhelming amount of research that supports this other thing, which can influence your decision going forward. You know, um, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm curious of your take on that or if 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 you've kind of encountered that in your practice or with other coaches in the space as well. Yeah, of course. And I mean, you can you can find a study to support anything to some extent, you know, certainly. Um, now, can you find a body of literature to, to support anything? Um not often as, uh, not, not necessarily as often. So I think that really comes to when someone makes a claim, uh, that, and, and cites a particular study, it's actually reading the study and kind of saying, okay, does this study actually support what they're saying? Um, you know, if it's, if it's a mechanistic study in, in a rodent or what have you, and then the, the uh, the practitioner or influencer, or what have you is using that to make a claim that's not actually shown in that study. And, and you see this a lot, um, you know, then 
okay, I, I would say that the study that they're citing is not actually supporting what they're saying. You know, it's 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 supporting a mechanism, right? Um, now, you may also, you, you can find a lot of randomized control trials out there that might support certain claims, you know, and, and that I think is, is, is where it can be a lot more difficult for uh, the general consumer of information to make informed decisions. Um, you know, and I think that really comes down to seeing if this was like the only study that saw that, that, that came up with that result, or if there are a lot of other studies that also came out with that result. Is there a meta-analysis out there that also shows this result? And also, you know, if someone uh, has a study and, and, and cites a study, uh, and especially if the claim they're making is very contrary to conventional wisdom or seems very weird or like, why isn't everyone talking about this? You know, that there that can be a red flag, uh, you know, so. So that's kind of what I would say, um, you know, and just, you know, I would also say just for for folks, you know, um, on Instagram or what have you, if you see someone making a claim that seems very, very weird or very, very, like, very contrary to conventional wisdom, you know, take it with a grain of salt. And if they did provide references, maybe consider reading them. So yeah, I mean, you can find a study to support pretty much anything. And I would say with gaining some experience of reading um, full texts of studies and especially the methods, you know, of, of studies, um, you know, I think that you can get better at spotting when, whether someone's claims are legitimate or whether they may not be so legitimate. It's a practice. Yeah, it is a practice and it's, uh, it's not something that comes overnight and man, there's, there's people like Dan or even myself who went to school for this and, you know, it, it gets easier over time, but man, it's still a lot of work and, you know, and it's, uh, it, it's sometimes not your job, like to always go through and read a research paper. Like that's just not practical for like literally anybody reading this or uh, listening to this podcast. But, um, man, there's, there's a lot of benefit, uh, to be had when following somebody maybe like Dan or uh, some other really awesome people in the space. I kind of want to use this as a uh, transition into like identifying charlatans and uh, spotting like pseudoscience, kind of what we've been talking about. But yeah, I, I appreciate you answering that last question because it's, uh, you know, this idea that we can find something that supports everything. It's like, yeah, maybe you can find uh, something that supports this claim that's been done in a Petri dish or again, that's done in a rodent study. But when we actually look at what's done in humans or if it's been done in humans, what does that say? Cause that's more relevant to then, uh, you know, unless you're sitting here and you're a rat listening to this, like, man, that's going to be more pertinent and, and more relatable to, um, what information you're receiving and how you apply that to your life. And there's a lot of really, uh, I would say maybe smart people, smart marketers out there, uh, really persuasive people that can kind of like lean on some of these concepts and and kind of make up in a sense, their own philosophy, their own practices um, based off stuff that they choose to believe and stuff to ignore. And that's, yeah, that's the frustrating part. And I am, um, I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned just like some red flags. And I, and I said, I want to go there. Let's go there now, because I think one thing that comes to mind for me is a lot of times the people who uh, are using softer language, who aren't really talking in absolute terms, who aren't uh, thinking in black or white, those are those are usually the people, uh, it sounds counterintuitive that, that you could maybe trust more so than somebody sitting here planting their flag on a mountain and not deviating away from this message that they're trying 
to, to tell their audience or to sell their customer. Yep. Um, that to me is always a red flag that I want somebody to keep in mind. Um, would you agree with that? And, and when it comes to like spotting these zealots and charlatans out there, um, what are things that you could look for? Because they're kind of hiding in plain sight and they also look very reputable in a lot of cases have the MD behind their name, the PhD, the chiropractors, the dietitians, even sometimes, yeah. right? Like yeah. what are things that come to mind for you where you're saying, Hey, let's clean up your feed or let's when we're looking to follow more evidence-based credentialed people who are giving a fuck about your health and are actually, you know, maybe uh, going above and beyond to, to talk about some of these topics, what are things that you would really point people towards uh, when it comes to cleaning up their feed and just following people who are a little bit more credible? Yeah, so definitely. I mean, I think you really hit on the big one, which is speaking in absolutes and you know uh saying like this food is bad or this ingredient is just bad or that you should never eat it um you know unless there's something that you're allergic to there really aren't any true bad foods or bad ingredients even you know i mean people will get up in arms about like seed oils or gluten or artificial sweeteners but it's it's really more so kind of the context the it, it it depends on the context of someone's overall diet you know and if someone kind of more so tends to speak in that black and white all or nothing terms uh, that's where there might be a, a red flag um you know also and i alluded to this before if someone is saying something that contradicts expert consensus that's just the complete opposite of what people of, of kind of what general consensus is that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong i mean uh general consensus can certainly be wrong but it should be a red flag and and that uh, again if it's a red flag I, I i would say like okay you absolutely have to shut this out entirely but i think that those sorts of claims deserve more scrutiny you know and that's where you should okay did they provide a citation if so maybe read it and see, okay, what, where is this claim coming from? You know, cause again, you know, sometimes general consensus, maybe expert consensus is wrong. I mean, part of science is, is that, you know, uh, knowledge evolves over time, you know, that's part of, of, of science, but contradicts that, um, expert consensus. Um, and, you know, I know, again, we mentioned, we talked about it, but if some, if, um, someone is relying a lot more so on mechanistic data. So talking a lot about, you know, certain kind of reactions in the body, um, you know, or, um, you know, really emphasizing roles of kind of certain hormones. And that's really the crux of their argument rather than actual outcomes in human beings, you know, and this is where a lot of, I think kind of the low carb folks, they'll talk a lot about like insulin and insulin's role in fat storage or, or things like that. If they're really focused on mechanistic data, um, that can be a red flag. Also fostering an us versus them mentality of, you know, those whoever's are out to get you, you know, the government is out to get you, dietitians are out to get you. Um, and, uh, and I, and, you know, even in like the evidence-based space, I do see a little bit of this as well, but, you know, having that kind of, uh, almost like tribalistic mindset, you know, of like, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, uh, you know, that, you know, and I think even even in the kind of more evidence-based space, I think we can be guilty of that as well um, to some extent, you know, kind of labeling people who disagree with us as like bad, you know, the, generally there's a lot more kind of nuance to that. But that us versus them uh, mentality, you know, I would say in general, you know, because oftentimes 
you know, especially with really inflammatory topics, the truth tends to be more nuanced. Um, you know, so again, and, and just because someone does one of these things, like they do make a claim, like I said, that, um, contradicts expert consensus, or they do, um, you know, maybe, uh, talk a lot about a mechanism that doesn't necessarily mean, oh, they're wrong, but it does mean that their claims should, um, you know, they, they, you, you should, uh, scrutinize those claims a bit more and just, you know, maybe just take it with a grain of salt, you know? So like, again, I'm not saying everything that, you know, Andrew Huberman says, for example, is necessarily bad or anything like that. But uh, again, just when you kind of see those sorts of red flags, just, you know, be, be, uh, be, be mindful. Yeah. Amen, dude. Yeah. Well said. I, um, I, I can't help but think that there might even be some benefit for some exposure to that for people. Again, this is dangerous because, um, you know, people can be quick to believe uh, things without questioning things, especially, again, if they come from people with millions of followers, people with credentials behind their names, uh, people just screaming at the top of their lungs and, you know, talking in absolute terms. Everything that we literally just said, like, hey, take this with a grain of salt, or maybe that's the person that has a few red flags behind their mane that you shouldn't actually believe in the beginning. Um but I've, I've found that a lot of people do get exposed to that. But if you're somebody that is sitting here and you're just like, I've only followed Dan Feldman and I've followed uh, Ben Carpenter and I've followed Alan Aragon and I've followed Lane Norton. Those are the only people I follow. It's like, great. Like, I don't know, sometimes exposure to like uh, Paul Saladino or uh, Bobby fucking Parrish or Glucose Goddess or, you know, some of these people where they're really just like, I, I think the thing that bothers me is when a lot of these people talk they, they talk about a thing, um, as if it is the biggest thing on top of the, you know, hierarchy of importance when it comes to health or whatever, whenever, uh, we're comparing it to anything else. And that's, that's another problem when somebody is claiming that this is the thing, this is the most important thing. This is the only thing that is, you know, should be, uh, that should be considered. That's another red flag. And there's a lot of people that do that, but it's very obvious when you hear that, right? When you hear maybe us talking about that and then you go and follow and you look at a couple of different Instagram pages, you're like, oh shit, like this is, this is who Dan warned me about. Like maybe I'll follow, but I'll have that kind of curiosity mindset every time they make a post. And then, you know, having those types of exposures can sometimes make people more informed decision makers. Again, if there's a counter argument or if they're following other people, um, and not only just listening to that person and the information that they are saying. So I bring all this up because, again, you and I are different than maybe the the general consumer here. But there was a point where I probably followed over a hundred different types of people that we're talking about. You know, the people who kind of talk about their information. They all get on each other's podcasts and they all uh, make these like you know uh, Mark Hyman esque videos where they're just like yeah. you know with like uh, horror movie sound to it and just makes it sound like the most important thing in the world. And there came a point where I was like, I got to follow all these motherfuckers. Cause it's like driving me crazy. The intention in the beginning was like, I want to see what's being said out there so I can continue to like expose myself to that, but to also be able to speak to that if a client or if somebody in my DMS is talking to me about some of those things, but sometimes it gets to the point where you should, and you can just eliminate all of those things and your life goes up exponentially because of that. And I think yeah. I think the the moral of the story here that I'm trying to get at is like 
if people are out there thinking that we don't know a lot about nutrition or we just don't have all the pieces to the puzzle yet necessarily, right? Or uh, we're still finding things that are groundbreaking every year, every decade, man. That's really not the case. Like, like a lot of recommendations get modified and improved over time, but man, there's still some really big staples that have been around for decades now. And those are the things that just aren't going away. And, and to me, like, that's a really cool thing. Like that's, that's something that I want um, people to have a little bit of peace of mind about that. They're, they're not like missing out on something because their blood sugar spiked because they ate a regular banana compared to putting it in a smoothie kind of thing. Like that's the shit that I think can get people in trouble and can kind of keep them in this hamster loop of like, just constantly feeling like they don't know enough. It's like, the person listening to this, like you probably know a shit ton already. And we're not really coming out with a lot of groundbreaking stuff that's going to, you know, significantly challenge or just break open the floodgates of all the health information that we've been able to accumulate over time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I agree completely. I mean, the basics are what they are. I mean, the, uh, you know, I, I made a post once and I've reposted a bunch of times that, Boring nutritional advice is usually correct nutritional advice, you know, eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, eating, um, you know, a, a relatively high protein diet, you know, keeping uh, more kind of hyper palatable foods like uh, chips and fried foods and sweets or whatever in, in moderation, not consuming as much of those, uh, you know, eating uh, plenty of whole grains, fiber, you know, it sounds very boring and very obvious, but that's really the, the, what that's, you know, if you had to define what is an evidence-based healthy diet, it's going to be something, you know, like that, you know, managing calories, be it with tracking or without tracking, you know what I mean? Eating, you know, getting regular exercise. It's just that it's, it's hard to make that sexy. And, and in the social media, like the, now it's kind of social media is such a big part of how people get information when it comes to social media, we're really competing for people's attention, you know, and, and it's a lot easier to get someone's attention by making a claim that spinach is bullshit, kale is bullshit, you know what I mean? Um, that's a lot, that gets attention, especially if the person, you know, making the claim is, you know, shirtless in, in a grocery store, then me sitting here saying, I eat more fruits and vegetables, you know, it's, it's what's going to get more likes and follows. It's going to be the kale is bullshit because it's interesting, it's exciting, it's sexy, but you know, the generally speaking, the truth uh, is is not necessarily sexy. What works tends to not be sexy. It tends to be boring, but it is what it is. And again, you know, I, I would encourage people to, you know, uh, especially if there are certain topics that they're interested in to continue consider, you know, maybe reading a bit of research, maybe starting with like pub published research, you know, looking for maybe systematic reviews, um, to start off, you know, on specific topics that they're interested in, just to at least get an idea of kind of what that sort of looks like, you know, where people can read uh, research reviews, which are basically kind of, um, you know, summaries and explanations from smart people of particular topics. Um, I mean, mass research review, if, if, you know, for folks that are interested in body composition, strength training, that kind of thing is fantastic. You know, they talk about a study and kind of go through the method methods. So, you know, um, but, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what I would, uh, uh, say there. Yeah, for sure, dude. I, um, I saw a post today it just goes hand in hand with everything we've been talking about right now. And I just, I pulled it up. I'm looking at it right now, but there's, um, uh, I follow a handful of like, uh, 
uh, social media experts, whatever, like people who can uh, uh, kind of like let you in on some of the insights that uh, the algorithm, whatever the fuck that means for Instagram and TikTok and everything. Um, and there was a guy who reviewed a post today and literally validated it. And it it's uh, when I watched it, it kind of pissed me off because it's like, that's literally everything that's playing out in the health and nutrition space right now. And it's, it's this guy, he has a, uh, it's like how to go viral um, or on one column, it says flop, meaning the post is going to flop versus viral, increasing your chances of this post going viral. And it has, instead of I say you, instead of today, stay, say in 60 seconds, instead of help you say, get you instead of easy, uh, lazy, uh, bad, brutal, like just switching this terminology into more absolute meanings, more absolute terms. Um, the last one is you should do instead of start doing immediately. And it's, I just made yeah. me laugh. Cause I'm like, and here's this, this guy on Instagram literally saying like, Oh yeah, no, I agree with that. That's exactly how you yeah. get more attention and views and, uh, uh, you know, more engagement, which is exactly the purpose of a lot of these posts, a lot of these podcasts, a lot of these short clips. And those are the things that drive engagement that drive, uh, followers that drive eyes that then drive profit, which unfortunately is the end goal for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have to make a living, right? But there's uh, there's a way to do it uh, ethically and a way to do it not as ethically. And there's a lot of people taking the latter uh, approach to yeah. that. It's easier. It's you know, it's it's easier to go viral and get however many followers in a way that's not so ethical. Um, but doing so in a way that can, where you can, really discuss nuance, is a lot more challenging. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of brings me up to this last topic that I want to talk about something we've talked about already, uh, around at least. And it's this, uh, this, this concept, talk about unsexy stuff here and what hell of a way to finish this podcast, but yeah. why every nutrition answer is likely it depends or, or why most people who again are more credible or who, uh, are not talking in absolute terms, who, appreciate the fact that there's multiple inputs, right? There's a lot of confounding variables that go into your health and your well-being and what's going to work for you and sustainability and, uh, you know, what is going to keep you in the game the longest here, right? Like it depends is probably the answer to every nutrition question that you ask. And that's something that, you know, I do a Q and a every week on my Instagram. I do Q and A's on the podcast. And a lot of times, you know, I'm just sitting there and every answer is just like, yep, it depends. Like, what are you asking it in the context of, or in relation to, or what is the outcome goal? Cause that's going to dictate everything. And you mentioned that there's a lot of general principles. There's a lot of things that probably 99% of the population can benefit from like yeah. getting enough fiber, managing calories or eating to your energy needs, maintaining maintaining a healthy, you know, body weight or it, it, within a healthy body weight range. Um, maybe having more muscle mass, exercising a few times a week, getting steps in, like getting enough, uh, protein in, lean sources of protein, uh, getting a bunch of micronutrients in. like, yes, those are all things that, that are going to be beneficial for pretty much everybody. But even within that, there's still nuances that go into recommendations for somebody. What types of fiber sources? How many times should you be eating? What are, you know, what what are your goals, and and how can we modify some of these inputs to get you closer to your goal? And uh, I, I bring all this up because most of the time, it depends is going to be the answer to a lot of things, especially in the health space. And um, I know your answer, but I'm curious if that's your philosophy too. I see you do it all the time, but why, why is that so important 
And why, you know, why have you doubled down on that instead of going into this like more polarizing type of like content creation that does well for people, you know? Yeah. And I think so. So the why it depends is usually the the answer. Um, you know, physiology is very complex. Uh, there's a lot of individual factors, like you mentioned, that go into uh, that come into play. You know, it's it, it it's it's tough to make nutritional recommendations that apply to everyone, you know, because a lot of it is going to depend on on someone's specific situation. You know, there are certainly instances in which uh, eating a carnivore-esque diet will, at least for some period of time, for certain people lead to beneficial outcomes. And there are certain reasons for that, right? Uh, you know, there, so there's certain reasons why if it's for some people like reducing fiber intake might be beneficial just depending on their um, physiology, you know. Uh, the, the, and there's also a lot of psychological factors that come into play, like um, what nutritional strategy someone should use if they have a history of an eating disorder, you know, versus they don't. It's going to be so different, right? So, so there's so many individual factors at play, which is, you know, that's a reason why registered dietitians exist, why coaches exist is to hopefully, you know, use that kind of evidence-based background and research, but also use it to also learn from the person who you're actually working with and use that person who's the expert of themselves to kind of figure out what's best for them. So again, whether something is good or not good depends on the individual, um, you know, and, and why I tend to kind of have that stance as opposed to speaking, I guess, in more polarizing ways. I mean, I did, you know, uh, when I kind of earlier on when I was doing more content creation, did a lot more polarizing stuff. But I mean, it, I, I just kind of didn't feel kind of comfortable doing so. You know, I felt a lot, uh, you know, it, I, I feel more comfortable speaking to what I know is true and what I know is is closer to the truth. And what I know is that the truth tends to be complicated and tends to be nuanced. And I try my best. I'm not always successful, but I try my best to communicate that in my content, you know? So, so speaking in absolute, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to speak in absolutes, uh, you know, because that's generally the truth is not so black and white. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Yeah. Just this idea of like, you ask us a question, like we're, we're probably going to ask you five questions back before we give you any sense of direction or talk about anything uh, related yeah. to what your question was in the first place. And man, like if you're somebody sitting here and you're like, fuck, I don't know who to follow. Like, I don't know what to do. Like you've kind of blown my whole Instagram feed up. Like where, where next? Like, yeah, of course follow Dan or myself or uh, some of these other people, but you will pick up people that do these things over time whether they do the right thing or the not as great thing, right? They're more polarizing versus they're adding context. They're adding nuance. They're appreciating all the different inputs that can go into answering a question. Like you will pick up on those people and those are likely the people that you will gravitate to and ideally follow more of over time. And again, in a perfect world, like you end up in a way better place because of it instead of you following all the other people that can keep you stuck in your tracks or keep you questioning or following kind of into this like conspiracy theory type realm of nutrition that we've just been surrounded in. And I, um, I appreciate Dan, you, you know, you so much and a lot of other people in the space, because you said it, dude, it's a lot harder to, to 
create content with a lot of you know uh, uh, context in it. It's hard to create an eight slide post compared to going online and just holding up your phone and or going into the grocery store and saying a 30 second clip and then have that getting a hundred thousand views or more. Um, it takes more time. It takes more effort, but man, I I've seen you do that double down on that and continue to kind of like practice that with your social media, with the content you create. And it, it's inspired me along with a lot of other people to continue to try and do that too. Right. Like having a post that again, might not do as well, but the, the, the percentage of people that do read that are going to get a lot more from that. Um, which is, Honestly, if I'm being honest, like the people that I'm trying to connect with on Instagram, right? Like those are the people that I create content for. That's why we record these podcasts. It's for the people who are open-minded and who are going to like actually take time to like try and educate themselves instead of the people who, again, are maybe just trying to validate their own bias and they're finding people and creating this echo chamber where they're just being fed this information. And those are usually the people that we're probably not going to win over and that's fine. But there's a lot of people out there that we can continue to just expose to different ways of thinking. And that's really, I don't know. I can't help but think that that's one of my overarching goals when it comes to content creation and just being a coach in this space. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it really kind of comes down to, you know, is your goal to get as many followers as possible? Is that really the main goal? If it is, um, you know, uh, then, you know, maybe just talk about whatever's sexy and, and don't worry so much about what's accurate and just kind of try and have inflammatory polarizing topics that may or may not be accurate if that's your goal, you know, uh, um, you know, is that right or not? I mean, I would say, you know, maybe it's unethical, but some people do that because they, you know, mainly want to have a, a high following, you know what I mean? Um, you know, and then I could, I mean, I could kind of go on about, uh, how, like what role social media actually has for us, you know, um, and that can be kind of a complex topic. You know, I think a lot of us tend to look at social media, social media following likes, followers, stuff like that, and, and kind of be- allow that to become part of like our self-worth or our, or our, our identity, you know, and I think that causes a lot of people to really prioritize going viral or, or, you know, trying to have as many likes as possible on posts, which, but like, I don't know, I've just kind of learned over time that that isn't all that important, you know? And I mean, you know, there are ways to make, make uh, content that is evidence-based and still kind of, you know, at least some of it can, I don't know about go viral, but, but maybe, you know, by, by having, uh, you know, visually appealing kind of, uh, 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 graphics or what have you, but, just kind of, I guess, depends on what role social media has for you, for you, you know? So that's, that's what I would say about that. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of ways to use social media. There's a lot of uh, ways to practice on it, but yeah, it can be a dangerous place. Of course, it brings a lot of good, uh, brings, you know, uh, people like you and I maybe together and, and for uh, people to can connect with one another and even the general person, you know, reaching out to someone like Dan or myself in the DMs, like definitely brings the uh, uh, intimacy of the health space. You know, it just, it heightens it a little bit, but yeah, I think it's being abused. And unfortunately we're kind of, uh, I think still right in the middle of it or it's getting worse even. And it's, uh, it's tough to see as somebody, you know, who 
puts a lot of time and effort into it, but you said it best, dude, like you can't have your followers or whatever be your identity. Like that's a fucking horrible place to be in. Yeah. And that's usually what dictates a lot of decision and, and types of content. And then again, type of uh, terminology or verbiage you're using to describe the content you're making. And again, I hate to say it, it just, it comes back to more revenue, more feeding your ego. And that's what gets people off more than anything nowadays. So I'm, I'm like you, man, I'm, I'm cool with the 1500 followers myself right now. And I've, I've been able to make a living and, and help a lot of people. And I feel good with that and whatever happens will happen. But like yourself, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm planting my flag with where it's at and I'm going to continue to just double down on that over time, even though it's, yeah. if it's not what the algorithm prefers. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, many years from now, you know, no one's going to really care how many Instagram followers you have, but, but, you know, whether you, uh, uh, acted in a way or practiced in a way that was, you know, ethical for you, you know, that that's important. And also like, uh, don't worry about what other people think, you know, yeah. it's, it's, if you yeah. want to be happier, don't worry about whatever people think people might follow on follow it. It is what it is, you know? Yep. Absolutely, dude. Thank you for all that, man. You, you, uh, you spoke a lot of truth today and I couldn't be more grateful for it. Um, tell the people where they can find you and how they could reach out to you or what you've got going on, plug anything. I'll also plug everything in the show notes, but sure. tell people where they can find you, man. Yeah. So it was funny when you, at the start of the podcast, you're like, so I know you're a power lifter and you're a dietitian. <laughs> so my Instagram is a, uh, where you can kind of, I guess I'm most active is aptly named power lifter dietitian. Um, so, so you can find me on there. Um, my website is danfeldmanrd.com. If you know, people in, in the U S want to book, um, a consultation with me, I accept most health, most health insurances. Um, also, um, starting a, a mentorship program actually for RDs who want to grow their private practice and want to start taking insurance. Uh, I put out uh, free content for RDs specifically who want to grow their private practice. That's at RD. That's at sorry at Dietitian Mentor uh, on Instagram. Um, so yeah, amazing dude. I'll plug it. Thanks again for your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.